So. You should watch that tonight. You have HBO Go. Hobo Go. I've got plans tonight. What? To not do whatever you <laughs> say. <laughs> I, have, I, I have plans, and it doesn't matter what they are, as long as they are in direct opposition to the thing that you were impelling me to do. Yeah. Welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John. How are you, Henry? Back online. We are back online. We're back online. After an unfortunate term in which we spent in the dark web. Where there's no light, no matter how many times you Google light. Isn't, yeah, isn't that the thing that, uh... The things on the dark web are just things that aren't indexed through search engines, and things on the deep web are things that you can't index through search engines and are also intentionally hidden. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we were on the dark web for a minute. Oh, no because... one could find us. I mean, they could find where we used to be. We were completely offline. Oh, they can still find where we used to be. And then, okay, so we had a husk on the light web, then we entered into the deep dark, the dark web, the deep... Mm. It was basically, have you ever seen Dark Man? Uh, no. The superhero from DC Comics? Oh, yes. He's he's dead, but he's still around so he can, like, save people's lives. So we're like the Dark Man of podcasts. Yeah. Or like the Spawn of podcasts. Only now we're Reverse Spawn and Reverse Dark Man. Uh, Light Man. I mean, if you want to get racist about it. Nwaps. Nwaps. Spawn backwards. We're back in action, baby! Finally, after a lot of money and time and effort and uh, mostly time. And and actually, uh, we're all but one episode migrated. Episode 27. Episode 27's dead to us. You know, I'm okay with us never putting episode 27 back up. You know... Frankly, I don't care. I have no idea what episode 27 is. I can't remember for the life of me. It's probably not worth the trouble. What if it's the best one we've ever done? Mmm. I don't think it can beat good old episode 13. What What if they'll catch on and they realize we skipped episode 27 and never did one? That's right. We're recording right now. Yeah, we are recording right now, and episode 27 is real and extant. Oh. Except not right now, but... Yeah, it's like a real revenant. It's a real, real revenant. Things are getting real revenant out there, people. And you better put on your raincoat. It, it's kind of revenant outside right now. It's like it's like second spring down here where we live. Yeah, it's like spring got mauled by a bear and then decided to come back for revenge. As a slightly cool breeze. How incredible is the fact that a revenant is a word... In the dictionary, meaning something that comes back from the dead specifically for revenge. I encountered it today in the book I'm reading. The Revenant? No, I'm not reading The Revenant. Oh. I'm, I, the word revenant came up in the book I'm reading. As a noun or a verb? As a noun. I don't think it's a verb. It's not. I'm gonna revenant. <laughs> I'm gonna revenant. I'm gonna die and come back specifically for revenge. You know, I really, uh, that sequel to Wreck-It Ralph, <laughs> Revenant Ralph, where he's like, I'm gonna revenant. 
Very bad. Yeah. It's, it's not good. Especially because they just had to create a weird video game bear. Mm-hmm. They, they couldn't use one that existed because there are, little known fact, no video game bears. You know, I thought there was a video game bear in Red Dead Redemption, a.k.a. the best story ever told, but it was just a Sasquatch. Red Dead Redemption's the best story ever told? I think it's one of the best stories you can experience. I have a lot of love for Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> Look... Look, I played that game. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I got to the part where I was like, oh, you gotta lasso cattle on this ranch. And I'm just like, why? What, where's, where's the story? And then I finally got to the story and it was like, go do this thing for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to do things for people. Did you finish it? No. See, can you say anything's truly the best story ever told if you never finished it? I can say it's not the best story if I didn't finish it. You're like, oh, I stopped reading during the childhood parts of Proust's In Search of Lost Time. How could it be the best story ever told? I just want my stories to not have my protagonist walking around doing tasks for other people. You know, isn't that all we do as people? Yeah, that's why I don't like it. Oh. Well, anyway, what book are you reading? Oh, I'm reading, uh, it's hard to pronounce... I think it's Sabriel or Sabriel. Okay. It's the first book of... Is that a hummus brand? Yes. Okay. It's the first book of the old Kingdom series by Garth Nix. Garth Nix? That name sounds oddly familiar. He did the old Kingdom series. Oh, okay, yeah. That's where I know him from. He's also done a few other series, but this is the one I read. Is it good? Yes. Okay. I read this series originally in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. He wrote a trilogy. I thought it was over. Ten years later, he releases a prequel. I have a serious problem with the number of books that uh, end or begin with Part X of the XYZ series. Well, that's why the... the, I mean, that's what people call it to, you know, just uh, give an order to the series. And I imagine if this came out when you were in high school or before, this trend was not a thing and this is not something that the book proudly proclaims. The books are called Sabriel, Lyriel, Abhorsen, and then Clariel. I like that none of those words are real. They're names. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, each book... As a different protagonist. Like Moby Dick. Yes. <laughs> Not real words, but their name. Yeah. Okay, got it. Like, like how the protagonist of Moby Dick is a giant white whale. Yeah, exactly. But no, they're good. Um, They're about, like, it's a fantasy young adult novel mm. involving magic and necromancy. That sounds good. Yeah, I like awesome. both of those things. I like wizards. You would love the Old Kingdom series. I'm trying to get back into reading, so I'll probably give it a shot. Do it. You know, interesting thing about reading is uh, it gives us things to talk about. Yeah. And in fact, in my recent splurge of reading, I uh, came up with a few things that I want to talk about here on the podcast. Well, that just sounds convenient enough to work. I wish there was a segment for it. Hey, I got one. What is it? John. Yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing? And today, we're talking about the things you read. Yeah, so I read uh, Camus the Stranger or the Outsider, depending on how you want to translate it. I want to translate it into French. L'étranger? Yes. All right. I think that's how you pronounce it. So I was reading that book, and I was was struck. And I've read the book before a couple of times because I'm insufferable. But I was struck by how certain words and certain uh, kind of modes of being have pervaded into society as of late without maybe people understanding what they mean or where they come from. And I guess I'll... 
I'll preface it by asking you a question. Okay. Is ennui a synonym for boredom? Well, I would say it is a very specific type of boredom. It's, it's Ennui is boredom of experiencing your everyday life. Like, you, you're bored of the daily grind, you know? It's like, you know, it's a symptom of a society where you basically do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Ennui is expressively the tiredness of that daily routine. So it's like a pervasive boredom, like a dissatisfaction with what life has to offer. Pretty much, yes. I I see people using the word ennui all over the place, to a degree that I have never seen before, and I think it's just because of this weird, like, bumper crop of dark philosophical thought that's coming out of meme culture in a weird way. But I I just see the word a lot, and I see it attributed to the stranger or the outsider a lot. And I don't think that's... I think it's a a different thing, and, you know, a lot of people have talked about this before, and I think that when people say ennui, if they don't mean boredom, and they don't mean ennui in its actual typical sense, they're talking about this other thing that deserves to enter, like, the modern lexicon. And how would you describe this other thing that's not boredom or the real definition of ennui? Well, thankfully, I don't have to describe it because Emile Durkheim described it as anomie. Anomie? Anomie. A-N-O-M-I-E, I think. And it's the... Anomie is a dissatisfaction not with, with life, but a dissatisfaction with, like, social norms. Okay, that would definitely be different from ennui. Because, you know, anomie is this feeling that... And it's uh, it, it comes up in The Stranger. Like, in The Stranger, the, the protagonist, Merceau, doesn't find joy in, like, friendships or work or love or any of the, like, pinched morality around him in... Uh, in Algiers, in in France, in Western civilization, he is kind of uh, robotic. He likes what he likes, and he doesn't like anything else. He doesn't see the point in these things because he does have a core dissatisfaction with what is expected of society. Okay, so he he's okay with being alive, mm-hmm. and he's he's kind of okay with his life, mm-hmm. but except for the certain aspect as it is influenced by. St- society's expectations i mean it's it's really it really comes out in things where he has a a girlfriend marie in the book who uh, asks him if he would like to marry her and he sees no reason not to because it would be the same either way oh so they decide to be married because it's what she wants and it doesn't matter to him one way or the other okay you know when their marriage will be it doesn't matter to him so it's whatever she wants and you know the the entire story of the strangers you you have this disaffected youth who will sit in a chair for the entire length of a day looking out of his window occasionally eating and returning to the chair and then going back to sleep not because he's upset or or sad but just because that's just what he wanted to do that's interesting he doesn't respond positively to any pressures from the outside telling him to do one thing or another if he wants to go for a swim he goes for a swim it's and it's this thing that People confuse with with ennui that's a dissatisfaction with social norms. And you could see things like that in... I was reading an article not too long ago about, like, hookup culture. Okay. And they're like, oh, the, the younger generation's core ennui has, has given birth to, like, hookup culture. It's like, that's not true. 
Because ennui would give birth to the opposite of that. Yeah. Which on, is just doing nothing. Ennui would be, I am not going out and seeking hookups. I'm staying inside and kind of just sighing and bored and nothing can fix it. Yeah. Um, anomi is like ennui without sadness. Yeah. But there is a sadness to it because you do feel very distant and separated from everyone in your life when you feel anomi. I think the main difference between ennui and anomi is that ennui does have implicitly boredom in it. Mm-hmm. Anomi sounds like more of a just general dissatisfaction or, you know, not tiredness, but not in the sense of, like, boredom. Tiredness in the sense of, I'm sick of this. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like they're not even really closely related. I I feel like, like I said, it's it's people misusing words, I think, which is why I think that anime deserves to be in our vocabulary, because I think that everyone can identify with that feeling at least for a little bit of every day of their lives. I mean, yeah. I mean, we go to work when we sometimes we want to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, but we have to do what society wants us to do and to, to remain in society. Mm-hmm. So we go to work, we get money, we pay our bills. It's this weird little cage that we've built for ourselves. And Anomi seems like a perfect way to describe our, our dissatisfaction with that. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, you know, Merceau is not uh, is not an aspirational protagonist. I mean, the turning point of the novel is when he pretty much, for no reason, shoots an Arab man dead. He's essentially provoked into it, but not really. And he only shoots him because he's, I mean, he's mystified by his own reasoning for shooting this person. Was it the same as the marriage thing where, like, it doesn't matter either way if I shoot this guy dead? Uh, the, the way it's presented in the book is that he's just, he's very tired, he's drowsy, he's had a big day just swimming on the beach, and his friend has been, uh, accosted and injured by this Arab man's friends for actions that previously happened in the book, and he just, he has a, a revolver in his jacket pocket, and he's aiming it at this Arab man who's just, uh, laying under the sun, and... He's just, he's he's very tired, and the sun's beating down on him, and the last thought he has before he does it is, uh, there are really only two options, shoot this man, or don't shoot this man, and it doesn't really matter which one I do. Oh my gosh. Depending on the consequences of his actions, he's either justified or not. Uh, he goes to prison. I would say he's not justified. Uh, he, he goes to prison, and, uh, at least in my interpretation of the book, he's not really satisfied with prison. He doesn't like it. He would prefer to not be in prison. And he, he refers to the act of shooting this Arab man as, uh, knocking four times on the door of unhappiness. Because he shoots him four times. Oh. Jesus. And the the fact that he himself is mystified by why he did that uh, shows that he's not someone you should look up to. And anomie isn't necessarily a, a reasoned approach to life. It's just when you're so, so dissatisfied with social norms, when you feel so far outside of them, nothing really seems to matter. You know, if, if you're a, if you're an outsider in like elementary school, you can eat paste because like, who's going to judge you? <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you're if you don't have any skin in the game, what are you playing? And and you know, it, it kind of sh- highlights that yeah, you can be dissatisfied with the social norms, but to go against them is to throw basically everything away cuz our social norm is I'm not going to punch you or hurt you in any way during the the time of this conversation. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to rebel, I could kill you. 
but that would still have consequences because even if I don't want to be in the social norm, I'm still held to those standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's... Uh, what the stranger really exists to be, and it's a short, short book. You can read it in a couple hours, but it it strives to create this kind of not like a straw man, but like an archetypical example of this kind of thinking that we can all identify with. This it it doesn't matter kind of thought, and that falls out of the fact that uh, Camus was a pretty you know handsome, enjoyable person who didn't believe in an afterlife and truly believed that nothing really mattered. But he he took that to be you should be joyful and happy. You know, he said I think it was in the beginning of the myth of Sisyphus that. Uh, his works just exist to inspire people to frolic and love and create in the midst of a desert. Yeah. You know, even if there's nothing on all sides of you, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what's here right now. And uh, Berceau, towards the end of the book, kind of has this this moment where he's had this this misconception of his motivations for a lot of things up until this point. He's very unhappy with being in prison. He's being sent to the guillotine, and he's not pleased. And a uh, a chaplain comes to visit him uh, days before his execution. And in in the chaplain explaining his larger worldview, how things are, you know, uh, dictated by these unseen powers and how everyone is living for something that isn't the life they're living right now, Merceau snaps at him and expresses maybe the first real genuine emotion of the entire novel, screaming at this man that... The life that he has led up to this point, even though everyone is looking down on him, is exactly the life he has led, the life he would have led anyway. And if he could have been anyone else, he wishes just to be someone who could remember the life that he's living right now, because it's the only thing he could possibly understand. That's kind of powerful, but also, that, I mean, that character sounds very, very limited in his scope of the world. He he really, he's not a, a learned man. He yeah. he goes to movies and he just thinks they're they're droll or boring because he doesn't see much point in in it other than like a social exercise. He's not a like I said he's not aspirational. You don't want to be him. No, not at all. You don't want to be this man who essentially for no reason shoots a man dead and plays with people's emotions and you see the way that he is reflected on his loved ones and they they love him and he just doesn't feel that for them. Yeah. And you know the the closest thing he has to a reverence for anything like the chaplain has for a reverence for his god is a reverence he has for Marie, his fiancée, just because he finds her, like, physically beautiful and he really enjoys being around her. And that's the closest thing he has to, like, actual reverence for anything. But I, I suppose what I'm trying to say with this whole thing is I, I think that maybe we have this bumper crop of nihilism, this this weird philosophy thing that's going on. You see it all over, like, Facebook and Twitter. And people are embracing this, like, cold boredom because it's cool. And they're kind of forgetting about this whole, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a word for it. Uh, Describe it. The the crazy thing about it is the word is like a description. It's like a, it's like a nonsensical joy that you feel. Like, uh, because, you know, the thing with nihilism is like, if you admit that nothing matters, then there's nothing stopping you from being happy. Yeah. You know, you you can live your life and be happy and indulge in the things you want to. And it's okay sometimes to feel like those urges are, like, 
against what society's better nature would have you do. It's okay to identify with that. Maybe don't beam or so, but, uh, you know, understand that everyone feels like an outsider sometimes. And you shouldn't feel shame in that. Whimsy. Whimsy. There is, we go. Is that the word you're looking for? No. Oh. Um, don't worry about it. It's a thing. What about... It's not like a word. It's two words. It's a description. Killjoy. Oh. Killjoy. No. But no. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you're going to be a nihilist, don't forget to be happy, because that's ideally what nihilism is about. Yeah. Or if you're just going to go around, like, bandying nihilism around because it's cool... Uh, don't forget that it's a pretty multifaceted belief set, and don't don't be a shit baby about it. It's not just denying anything, you know. It's denying like meaning for a reason, for Mm. a sake of something. It's not a complete destruction, but a destruction in order to create. Yeah, and I mean, going all over Facebook and Twitter just posting, like, pictures of Spongebob Squarepants saying, Oh, I wish I was dead. That's not creating new thought whatsoever. It's not helping anything. Nor is it all too creative or funny. Yeah. But it does, it reminds me of, uh, oh. I don't think it's funny when people say, Hey, I want to die. It reminds me of a picture I think... I think I saved to my computer, not my phone. Oh. Um, but it was somebody's tweet, and I tweeted, like, uh... Okay, I'm just gonna describe it, because I can't remember the wording. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that situation where there's a, a guy, and, like, he has a clone, and his friend has to ask one question to determine which one's the clone? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the friend next... Or, like, the evil cl- clone says, Kill him, because I'm the real one! And then the friend aims and shoots the clone and says, I knew it wasn't him because you would never pass up a chance to be killed. (laughs) Okay, I like that. I mean, it's the same sentiment where it's like, the guy's basically saying, I want to die, but it's it's just like, eh, it's it's clever at least. That's clever. But I know, I don't think suicide's super funny. Suicide, oh man, suicide is not the answer even if you want to die. If you want to die, you gotta try to change either something about the world or something in yourself Mm -hmm. to resolve that feeling and i mean i don't think that these people who are posting these things all over the place actually want to die i think it's you know we live in a pervasive society and the way to get quick laughs is to you know poke at its tender spots yeah and we still live in a place where like it's pretty messed up to say that you want to die all the time so ha 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 it's true i also saw a tweet about gun control Oh, that said, uh, this, this is also dumb, but, uh, it said, like, I need gun control because when someone breaks into my house, I want to shoot myself so I never, <laughs> never have to interact with another living person. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's awful. Okay, turn it around. These things are hilarious. They're funny, but, I, you know, they're probably not said in earnest. No, I don't think they are. I hope not, because suicide's not the answer. Yeah. Unless the answer is, what is not the answer? Oh, that'd be a nice trick question. (laughs) Then the answer would be suicide. Yeah. But not for you. We're talking about the word in that sense. uh, What is not the answer? Also, like, what is not the solution on a math test? You write alcohol. (laughs) What is not the solution? (laughs) Wallowing in my own depression. Oh, crawling deeper in the bottle. Uh... Yeah. It's weird that that's happening on the internet, but I feel like just just yesterday I, I made a vow 
to stay off the internet as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've been noticing something that I do is I gravitate toward things I know will upset me. And I, I'm tired of being upset over things I literally cannot change. Yeah. Um, the, the internet is a fantastic place to indulge in your worst nature, which is uh, not necessarily to make yourself happy, but to just uh, pique your curiosity with things that enrage you. Yeah. It's bad. Like, I realized a pattern of my search behavior that was basically, like, I was trying to gather evidence for arguments that I'm not having with anyone. Mm. And that the arguments boil down to, yes, people can be bad people no matter who they are. Mm. There are examples of horrible people regardless of gender, race, what have you. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like... That's sort of a reaction to this weird thing where I see people are using sweeping generalizations more and more. Uh, it's it's a dangerous time out there to be a thing. To be a human being mm-hmm. right now, you can't go on the internet and not be offended by someone. I, I feel like the internet and maybe society at large is slowly morphing into this like game of wild and crazy kids where everyone's like i'm purple team i'm blue team it's like we're all on the same team yeah we're all wild and crazy kids like the thing is there is one human race Mm -hmm. we are all together the same species why can't we just get along I, uh, I don't think it does anyone any good to be out there actively separating people. And, I mean, the internet is just a weird, weird place right now, because it's like, I know schools are still teaching you cannot generalize. You should not use wide-sweeping generalizations. I, I teach it when I tutor. It's just like, I hear more and more lately this argument that college isn't necessary, mm. and I'm starting to think people are right, because it's obvious no one is learning. Yeah. And that is sad, mm-hmm. but it's the reality in which we live. Mm-hmm. I mean, if uh, if David Foster Wallace over here... Hey, David. Oh, no. hi, David Foster Wallace. Uh, if David Foster Wallace is right and the college, uh, its like terminal goal should be to make people think critically, which is to think about themselves, their environment, and the combination of the two... Obviously, people are not graduating with that skill. Obviously, it was left out of a syllabus somewhere because there's a whole bunch of lack of critical analysis going on. And it's it's true. I've seen assignments designed to get people to engage things critically, to think about them, research them, and form an opinion on them. I even worked on an assignment with a student today that was designed for them to basically research an issue then form an opinion on it. And it's just like, how can I see these assignments and see students doing this work Mm -hmm. and then go to the internet and see none of that happening? Just see, like, no carryover in skills. No. I mean, it it doesn't matter if it's... It's a human race thing. We're all the same race. But it doesn't matter who you are. There is an anti-you camp. Yeah. 80s kids versus 90s kids. All the generation X's and Y's and baby boomers and There's a goddamn Survivor series about this right now. Is there really? There's Survivor Gen X versus Millennials. Oh my gosh. And I have things to say about Millennials. Well, let's hold off on that for now. Okay, okay. I feel like, I feel like I'm building up to a weird, dumb point. 
Okay. That I completely lost. No! It's gone. No, go back to it. No, it's like I'm developing a headache, and when I develop headaches, I lose parts of my soul. No! No, okay, um... God, just give me a second. Okay. Let's just go over main points. One human race. Yeah. People are not doing critical things. Anti-U camps. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Because there are, no matter who you are, no matter what you will what you are, that there's going to be anti-U camps, mm -hmm. listen to them, see if they have any merit, and if they do, adapt. If there's no merit, we you have to let it rub off you, or like roll off you like, like a duck and water. Mm -hmm. You know how ducks have those water-resistant oily feathers? Yeah. Get a coat of that for the anti-U camp. But I will say, it, and here's the main point I was going to make, it really doesn't help that one of the presidential candidates right now is doing the thing where they're making really wide-sweeping generalizations, really bold accu accusations, with no research, no evidence, nothing to back that up. Yeah, it's almost like uh, we have a healthy uh, portion of the American populace who's going to vote for someone who stands for uh, everything that we've been railing against. Every single thing. Yeah. And on that note, I think we have to say goodbye to David Foster Wallace, our guest for the first half. Bye, guys. And uh, well, thank you for being on the show. And we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back and we'll talk more about goddamn politics. Goddamn politics. There are alligator people living in New Orleans and they have secret funerals at night and they disguise it as parades. Interesting. <laughs> Ambrosia, sweetest Ambrosia. Are you referencing that one episode of He-Man? I'm not. All right. Let's reference He-Man for the rest of this podcast. We have to Man. get back into it. I'm He-Man. Man, I'm He-Man. <laughs> That's what he sounded like, right? Yeah, and Skeletor was all, By the power <laughs> of me, I'm a skull. And then that cat was like, Man, a I'm a battle cat. <laughs> You couldn't come up with a better name, dick? <laughs> I forgot his name was Battle Cat. What's the guy... Okay. What's the guy with the extendy neck? Like, wasn't it Extendo Neck or something dumb? They all had dumb names. Yeah. There was many faces who had many faces. Mm -hmm. There was Beast Man. Beast Man was alright. I forget Extendy Neck. I want to say he was probably like, long look. <laughs> I'm going to say it's dumber than that. <laughs> okay, Google. Extending Neck He-Man guy. Mechanek. Mechanek. Oh, God. It's like, what if you had one dumb power and that's his whole th thing of minions? Mechanek. I'm Mechanek. Hey, Steve, and welcome back to Zero Credits. My, that was a break. What did you think of the break, Henry? I think that it was good, but also... Are they actually going to experience a break? Uh, they're going to experience a... a th something's going to happen. Alright. Something's going to happen. Okay. Believe you me. Alright, something will happen. Once I get my hands on this episode in the editing room, something's going to happen. It's going to be real impressive. But wait, John. It's not your turn to edit. Anyway, Henry. Oh, John. Yeah, uh, so I believe we were building up to something we weren't ever going to do. Yeah. We were gonna talk about politics. Good old politic. You know, 
that one segment that's on the forbidden list? Yeah, I mean, there aren't many segments on the forbidden list, and hopefully this is the last one that we ever uh, drag from that feckin' document. Yeah, well, here it is, folks. It's Politalk. 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 Well, now that we've broken the seal, let's start barking. So, uh, what's the deal with politics, Henry? This is how Politalk starts. Well, John, let me lay out the, 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 the landscape of our current political thing. Mm-hmm. We've got two titans of people standing in opposite corners. I don't know the... Which one's blue? Uh, that's Democrats. Okay, well, st- in, in the Democrat side, we got a person who has a long history of being in politics... Was a senator, was a secretary of state. This is her second time running. Mm. And uh, secured the Democratic nomination through a fair race, mm. questionably fair race. Point is, she's who we got now on the <laughs> Democratic side. She's what we got on that side. Her name's Hillary Rodham. Rodham? Rodham. Rodham. Clinton. Mm-hmm. And that's her. Uh, on the red side corner... We have... I'm gonna not do any weird insults. Mm. We have a failed businessman. Oh, accurate. Who got a $10 million loan from his father. Accurate. And turned it into about $9 million. Accurate. Who has secured the Republican nomination. Accurate. And has split the Republican Party down the middle. Uh... I'd say it's not even down the middle. It's like he, he like, broke off, like, a chunk, and he's just, like, riding it like an ice flow. All right, all right. I'll allow that. But, yeah, that's that's what's going on in politics. I forgot to mention, mm. Mr. Red Guy mm-hmm. has no political experience. Whatsoever. Is not at all a politician. Mm-mm. And his name is Donald. Donald. Whoa. Donald J. Trump. Don, what does the J stand for? I want to think it's like Homer, and it's literally J. <laughs> That'd be. I'd. I'd like that. It would be the only thing that I like. I don't actually know. So, uh, quick thing. Yeah. Uh, this is at a time when I don't know. Things have been coming out about these these two candidates, oh. and people have long been uh, questioning. Miss Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, first of her name, as to whether or not she was kind of chummy with Banks during her uh, time as a public speaker. Okay. And during her time as a politician, and some emails have gotten out showing that she did have a a certain kind of, at least through other parties, kind of a a chummy attitude towards certain bank executives. Um, And on the other side, uh, similarly embarrassing, a tape has been released of Mr. Donald J. Trump uh, bragging about sexually assaulting women. All right. So, I mean, those are just, they're even. These are, these are facts. Yeah, these are, these are true facts. This is the thing about it, about Politalk. We do keep it fair. We never say anything that isn't purely objective. We are trying to give you an unbiased look at the facts. Because we do not want to play into any kind of confirmation bias you might have. 
We don't want to. We don't want to misrepresent anyone. We just want to give you the cold hard C-SPAN on decaf facts. And also, it, it wouldn't be fair for us to come out in favor of one candidate or the other, mm-hmm. because you don't listen to us to hear us praise someone and and diss another, mm. unless it's Mark Maron, which we diss. Or if it's How Did This Get Made, which we also diss. Well, let's not talk about them. We're not talking about them. We're talking about HRC and Day J... Trey. T. Day J. Trey and HRC. I couldn't say it. DJT. It rhymed. That's why I wanted to say it. I am much better with Day J. Trey. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting political climate. And also, uh, once again, objective fact, oh, terrifying. Oh, yes. It's a very scary time to be alive. For a long time, just to get this out there, I was horrified with either outcome. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's taken some weird mental fortitude... To actually be okay with one of the outcomes. I, uh, I do not like either choice. I am not a fan, personally. Uh, I feel like, objectively, there were maybe better choices earlier on. But, uh, I don't know. We have what we have, and we just kinda have to have it. I agree with the statement that there might have been better earlier... And for some reason, it seems to me that when, let's talk about the parties, Mm. when they realize what they've done, shouldn't we allow them a do-over? I think that there should be a, like a 30-day after nomination, like, sobering up party to be like, hold on. Oh, like a 30-day return policy. Yeah, 30-day return policy on candidates. Because in the past, yes, the same arguments were made where it's like, oh, it's one guy or the other. But I feel like, no, this is the first time in history we're literally stuck with who we have. I feel like there has been, you know, it's the it's the South Park thing. It's the, the shit sandwich versus the, the douche nozzle or whatever. Yeah, douchebag versus turd sandwich. Yeah. I feel like people have always kind of felt that way, but I feel like this is the first time that I can remember where people, maybe everyone I talk to, is just thoroughly dissatisfied with their options. Yeah. I mean, just to reference the last one, it was, what, Obama versus Romney? Yeah. I mean, they were both people. Yeah. And And the one before that, it was Obama versus, who was it? Oh, McCain. McCain. I mean, one was a skeleton man. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and the other one was... Fought in a war. Wait, no. The other one did not fight in a war. He was from Hawaii. Yeah. (laughs) The leaf blower man (laughs) is letting his opinion be heard here on Politalk. Yeah. And uh, no opinion is discounted on Politalk. Let it be known. I just... I don't know what to do. Uh, Because, like, on the one instance... I want to vote for a politician. Mm -hmm. On the other instance, politicians are corrupt by nature. Mm -hmm. The good politicians don't make it to this stage, right? They can't. Yeah, literally. I mean, they can make it really close. They can make it really 
Frustratingly close. They can make it to the point where it's like, just give them a few points. Yeah. They can make it to a point where you're like, it almost seems unfair (laughs) that you would say no to this person at this point. And and it's kind of like, maybe deals were made in the past involving the head of the DNC, who happened to have stepped down. And was replaced by someone else. Mm. And then found his way onto the ticket. Mm. And his name is... I forget his name. Kane. Oh. Tim Kane? No, the other one. No, not Tim Kane. Mike? Mike? What? I don't know politics. Who are we talking about? (laughs) The vice president nomination on the Democratic side. Oh, Tim Kane. Tim Kane? Tim Kane. The other guy's Mike Pence. Yeah, he was the head of the DNC Mm. in the last election cycle before this one. Mm. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Weird Uh, coincidence there. It's almost like politics is just a series of opportune back scratches. Uh, On the other side... Apparently, according to the debate this past Sunday, Donald Trump and Mike Pence have not spoken. Good. They have not spoken. I am okay with that. What does that mean? Uh, I I think that Donald Trump and his running mate Cigarette in a Suit are... Uh, are doing pretty well for themselves, considering the fact that I honestly believe that any political candidate up to this point in history, when faced with the damning charges of having done everything that has been done, surely in no way would have advanced this far. I mean, people have lost elections over misspelling potato. Mm-hmm. For, for having a weird, like... Barking laugh yell thing on the radio. Yep. Like, these are examples that actually happen that you can look up. It it almost feels random. It almost feels like everything that up until now we've been told is like a, a part of a system. You know, the, the animal spirits of people being like, I believe in this person versus this person. Yada, yada, yada. You're like, all that makes sense. I can kind of understand that. But then when you're faced with all the things that a certain political candidate for the office of President of the United States has done, you're like, how can anyone support someone like this? Like how 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 though you have you have to laugh at like television shows when it comes out that on the television show a candidate oh no they have a picture of them smoking marijuana and that's going to be a huge deal for this election when you look at the reality of today and it's just like no apparently presidential candidates can get away with literally everything including maybe even murder I, I feel like, uh, I feel like if, in my mind, in the, the predictable simulation of reality in my head, if you had inputted any kind of sense data that was like, oh, uh, a presidential candidate's going to do this one thing, I'd be like, that's it, it's over, no, no question. At that point, come on. But then like, what if this same person, did dozens of those things over and over again, and people still liked him. I mean, look, you flip that onto the other side. What if a certain candidate for president had lied once, and it had been discovered, and it was found out that it was a lie, and it happened, and people suffered for it? Mm-hmm. Now, what if that same person had dozens of lies throughout 
his or her career mm-hmm. that have similar results. And when people have important information about this and they leak it to places, those people mysteriously, with a question mark, end up dead. I I feel like we are at this this kind of existential turning point in American politics where maybe this is the most depressing batch of political candidates in history because seemingly taste accounts for nothing. Seemingly, our desire to be led by the most competent, uh, most fitting person who coincides with our beliefs doesn't matter at all. Do we vote for a person who is reprehensible beyond belief? Or do we vote for someone who is reprehensible beyond belief? Honestly, I don't know. But the fact that so many other things can be thrown in the ring just because one candidate happens to be a woman. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're not going to vote for her? What are you, voting with your dick? And it's just like, okay, we are not even talking about that. Mm -hmm. I'm mainly just focused on, like, experience and, and, like, the background stuff. Mm -hmm. Why is that so big of a thing? Because when when you make people into teams, uh, decisions that you make, not based on, like, team colors and more based on, like, team objectives, get boiled down into uh, reprehensible things because you don't agree with people. It's like, no matter which way you slice it, you're either a jerk... For, like, not wanting to vote for someone, a jerk for wanting to vote for someone else, or a jerk for not wanting to vote. Yep. We're all jerks, America. You can't make the right choice. And, uh, I'm almost definitely going to make a certain choice, which I do not agree with, but I believe it is the... Given my options... I believe it's the only choice I can make, which is not... Don't feel like... Uh, I should live in a country where I feel that way, but yeah. whatever. If democracy is supposed to be about, like, you know, the will of the people, Vox Populi or whatever, mm-hmm. I feel like we should have better choices <laughs> to use our will on. I feel like the choice that I'm going to make is one that I've been bullied into. I kind of feel that way as well. And I've been bullied into it not by other people, but just ideologically. Yeah, no. This is not the result of anything else other than the circumstances that are that have unfolded. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember last year when there were eighteen Republican candidates. Oh, so many. Remember when all any of the other ones might have been a better thing. Remember when all of them they were a little kooky. You know. I feel like what the Republicans have gone through this election cycle is basically they're like, uh, there's someone who just goes through like a lot of sexual partners and short-term relationships and like, well, that guy was okay, but he looked a little bit like a gremlin and this guy's okay, but he, he rode that helicopter to his son's baseball game. And then like, there's only one left yeah. and then they're 45 and it's like, it's the last girl at the bar, man. It's, it's the last one. And you just have to live with it. And on the other side, to make this balanced, we had two or three de- de- Democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. And... And... Yeah. My... 
why, why yeah why why couldn't it have why been, couldn't it have been, been the been, thing why uh, yeah we're not picking we're not we're not rooting for we weren't we weren't rooting for any one or the other but why couldn't them yeah why couldn't <laughs> i mean like we said if we if we want to live in a place where we honestly feel like the person we're voting for has our best interests at heart even if uh in my case i don't agree with them on most things yeah uh, but if you gave me all of those people and you're like, hey, do you want to vote for the person who you honestly think cares about your well-being? I'll go for that one. Yeah, probably. I'll, I'll vote for the person who actually cares about me and doesn't agree with me than the person who, who doesn't give a shit about me. Honestly, I would just vote for the person who said, I'm gonna make our healthcare system like Canada's. Yeah. I would vote for that person twice. I'd vote for the person who has a, a history of, like, not lying and being up front and, like, trying to elicit positive social change and has a history of being on the right side of history, generally speaking. I don't know who... Th- that person doesn't exist. Maybe that person kind of existed. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Once you lose a candidacy, you cease to exist. You're right. But talking about unnamed per- third person, mm-hmm. I feel like... The grassroots movement is actually still gaining traction on the lower circles of politics. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, a lot of self-sort of self-recognized or even appointed people within that camp who are starting to win elections more and more. And I think in four or so years, maybe no, I'm sorry, eight years, we're going to see a major shift kind of happen. I'm hoping. With uh, with Tulsi, I mean, even this uh, this unnamed third political candidate uh, kind of accomplished everything that this unnamed third political candidate wanted to do. In that politics changed forever. The unfortunate side effect of that is that someone who is currently still in the race also changed politics forever. Yeah, and the, uh, yeah, they. You know, it's really frustrating when you watch one party have this weird checks and balances system within the the, the nomination process Mm -hmm. that kind of ensures that not anyone could just sort of run. And then the other party you watch and you watch someone, just anyone, run. Mm -hmm. It's really annoying how that unfolded exactly at the same time. Yeah. Almost like it was written. Maybe, uh... Maybe someone should invest in some superdelegates. Maybe. Or maybe someone should de-invest in some superdelegates. Maybe. Mmm. Mmm. How depressing. Look, all we're gonna say for the, the wrap-up of this first edition of our Politalk, which we might do this Politalk thing again. Maybe. Yeah, as we get nearer and nearer to November 8th. Oh my god, that's less than a month away. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Nothing. What do they call that? E-Day is coming. Nothing can save us. Look, if Britain can make a referendum vote that kind of destroys its economy and still be a country, I suppose we can too. (laughs) True. Oh, man. Let's... You sex it. Nope, that's bad. You sax it? Nope. A A mex it. A Mexit. There we go. Let's, yeah. Let's exit Mexico. <laughs> exit America? Yeah, exit America. So that's going to wrap up our Politalk. And now, one last thing before we go. One last thing. Did you have anything planned? Nope. Well, I do. Good. This is a, a new segment, actually. All right. That I like to call, uh, 
Let's look at hipsters from history. Let's look at hipsters from history. Let's look at hipsters from history. Let's look at hipsters from history and get ourselves a snack. Is that delicious not... food to eat? <laughs> Uh, so, you know that we on this podcast have a, uh, a low-level fascination with the, uh, existence or non-existence of the American hipster. And maybe the global hipster. Maybe. So, I, at one point posited on a previous episode that I think that hipsters, hipsters, are something that has always existed and will always exist. Alright, so now you're gonna try to prove that. I'm going to try to prove it by talking about the Zazus. The Zazus? The Zazus. The Lion King bird? No, this is in fact a counterculture movement in Vichy, France in the 1940s. Now, this is an article by Stephanie Buck on, it seems like, Timeline.com, published on Medium. Alright. And she's talking about influential youth subcultures, and in this one, the Zazus. The Zazus. I will read certain parts of the article and supplement it where I see fit, and you're free to interject. Alright. Now, uh, starts with kind of a misstep, and says, Why is it always the long-haired freaks who cause trouble? Well, for the Zazus... A rebellious, young subculture in World War II-era France, long hair was a literal form of protest. A 1942 government decree asked that all barbershops collect and donate hair to the war effort to be manufactured into slippers and sweaters. The rebellious Zazus refused and grew their locks long. During those years, the country's conservative Vichy regime and its prime minister, Philippe Pétain, were collaborating with the occupying Nazis to impress impressed strict morality laws on a youth population it deemed lazy and dissident. Oh. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. In protest of Vichy ideology and enforced austerity, Zazu followers challenged the image of an obedient, gender-normative, homogenized French citizenry. When the government imposed fabric rations, Zazu men wore long, billowy jackets to their knees, gathered trousers and tiny mustaches. <laughs> They carried Chamberlain umbrellas even on sunny days, a parody of English style. Women wore jackets with wide shoulders, short skirts, bold lipstick, and bleached Hollywood-style hair. Nice. Like their counterpart swing kids in Germany, Zazus were fixtures in the jazz scene, which had originated in the African-American community and spread across the world by mid-century. In fact, Zazu probably got its name from a song called Zazu Zabi by Cab Calloway, a Harlem jazz musician. I was wondering if that was the case. Apart from the jazz clubs and cinemas, Zazus frequented two main cafes in Paris, the Pom Pom Cafe on the Champs-Élysées and the, hmm, Boulmiche? On the Boulevard Saint-Michel, they drank fruit juice or beer with a shot of grenadine syrup and were particularly fond of grated carrot salads. Fruit juice or beer. Or beer with a shot of grenadine. What? So, they sound like hipsters. They do. They sound like hipsters, right? Yeah. It's it's almost as if we have uh, outcroppings of, uh, of youthful subcultures that maybe aren't united under one umbrella other than the fact that they want to rebel against pinched morality or government decrees. It might be that, you know, certain countercultures are always sort of looked down on for the ideals they represent and might be perceived, perceived as lazy 
Just because they don't feel like doing the same thing that the social norms are telling them to do. And if you combine uh, seeming laziness with social rebellion, you get something like the modern day hipster. You get something that embodies to a lot of people this kind of lazy, decadent lifestyle that that people revile when in fact it's a, it's kind of a low-key form of social protest. And you know... What's a better low-key social protest than just to live and dress and act the way you want to? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you, you have parallels today with modern hipsters and... Hipsters, I hate that word, but it's useful and it will never die. Yeah. But you have parallels today with modern hipsters and uh, things like tattoos. Yeah. Tattoos are a rebellion against, like, pinched morality and also a rebellion over the idea that one doesn't have domain over their own body. Okay. And it's something that's been prevalent in modern culture for a long, long time, and hipsters serve to break that taboo, which all hipsters have done throughout history. They are counterculture. They're they're low-level social rebellions that serve to, to poke at society and overturn things that they deem ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, the Zazus were doing something uh, very different than maybe modern day hipsters because they were in direct opposition to the morality of Nazism. I mean, they might be just kind of the most justified hipsters of of all time. <laughs> because if it being a hipster, you're putting it in the eye of a Nazi, you're, you're doing the hipster thing right. I mean, a lot of people make fun of France during uh, World War II because, oh, they surrendered or whatever. But given what they had, they kind of had to, but that doesn't mean they automatically liked being occupied. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was only half of France that truly surrendered immediately. Oh, they and, needed us to save them. Don't, and, you, don't sugarcoat it. And then you get some Vichy France stuff and some of the great philosophers of the the war were were writers for the french resistance france is an interesting place for social change it's a really awesome place to study revolutions in general they had they, they were so good at it revolutions or literature or anything in history france is pretty interesting considering the first half of this podcast was dominated by us talking about two schools of french thought yeah with ennui and anami and nihilism in general and existentialism and lester and uh lester you nailed it. Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Yeah, that's how you say let's do that. But uh, it's it's definitely interesting to think that maybe as a counterpoint to these hipster subcultures, the the kind of people who uh, rail against hipster life and are just generally wet blankets but have maybe persisted throughout all of history. Yeah, I, I think there are certain things that kind of ebb and flow throughout the echoes of time. And, you know, ca culture counterculture is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, old men die, world keeps on spinning. And people turn into old men. And then those old men die, world keeps spinning. Yep. And people turn into old men. And then the world keeps... And then old men keep spinning. And so before we turn into old men, I think we should kind of wrap up our uh, contribution to society. All right. And my contribution to society is this. Live your life the way you want to. Keep the flags of discontent flying. I second that. And I add, grow out your hair. Well, grow, some, if, some of us can do if that. If you're able, grow out your hair. Can I grow out my chest hair? Yes. I'm going to add one more thing to uh, to our imperatives to society. But wash your hair. Wa definitely wash your hair. That's my one thing. Well, the the last thing I'm going to add to uh, to these imperatives 
is uh, you should follow us on Facebook. That's a good idea. Because on Facebook, there's all sorts of things you can do. You can be a hipster. You can be a hipster. You can write us a comment. You can post as a guest. You can you can send us an email. You can rate us. You can rate us. Five stars. Hope, yeah. Anything less is like stabbing us in the stomach. It's really unfortunate. Like, to our faces. I mean, it's just telling us we're not good enough. And we will try to be better, but you can't unstab someone you've stabbed. And we post things on Facebook. Post good old content. Daily content. Capital G, capital C, good content. Every day at noon, there's a post. Really? I've been doing that, yeah. That's really cool. Except for weekends, because man, oh god. So so busy on weekends. Sometimes it's just a picture of Daredevil typing on a cat. Sometimes it's better than that. What's better than Daredevil literally typing on a cat? You know, I can't I can't think of anything right now. It's always Daredevil typing on a cat. But wait, there's more! There's more things that people can engage with? There's a button on the Facebook that brings you automatically to emailing us. What? You can email us at the push of a button. And if, if people didn't have Facebook, how would they email us? Oh, well, that's easy. They would just have to send any email to... Zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com, you say. That's right. I say zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Now, if I wanted to, while I'm perusing a, a series of hate-filled tweets, if I wanted to maybe purge those from my mind and maybe engage with some other electrifying content, where would I go for that? You'd probably go to where there's tweets. Where are our tweets at? Twitter. Where are our Twitters? Our Twitter is at ZCPCWHJ. Did you forget? Yeah. ZCPCWHJ, that stands for Zero Credits Podcast with Henry John. That's right. There's no and with Henry John. Yeah. So uh, send us a DM, send us a PM. Uh, <laughs> you love doing No, this. DMs and PMs are the same thing. Yeah, right? they are. Shit, fuck. You always do this. Look, I uh, it's a trained behavior. Yeah, I understand. The podca- Half of the podcast is trained behavior. It's Pavlovian. Look, I'm all, salivating. All we're saying is that there are so many ways for you to express your love to the world of this podcast. So we just want you to take five minutes of your day and do one of them. Just engage with us in in any way. We love you. Email us. Yeah, we love you. Email us. Twitter us. We love you. Email Twitter us. Uh, get on our Facebook, because Henry put a lot of work into that Facebook. It, it's... Thanks for saying that. It's It's his child. Yeah. And you feed a Facebook page with comments and likes, so don't let that child starve. But don't feed it after midnight. Or else it'll turn into a MySpace. Oh, Tom. But uh, I suppose we should give them our final parting words. All right. Henry. John. What's your... Oh, my final parting words. Yeah. Uh, Don't drink milk after it goes bad, because you'll die. That's good advice. Yeah. And with that, I will say, please tell me why the car is in the front yard and I'm sleeping with my clothes on, came in through the window last night, and you're gone. It's no surprise to me that I am my own worst anomie. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, Henry. Bye, listeners. We love you. Email us. Twitter.
I'm glad the Leaf Man stayed away. <laughs> what? It's just a really funny sentiment. 